Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hey guys, on our podcast today, we have Amrita Katara. She is the editor of Watches and Jewelry for Tatler Hong Kong. And most recently, she also took on the role of editor of Tatler GMT Hong Kong, a watch magazine that originally launched in Switzerland in 2000. I was seated next to Amrita recently at the launch of this magazine. And I remember being so happy knowing and also seeing that the editor of a watch magazine was finally a woman. And so from I think from that day, which I it's been like months, I've been looking forward to actually recording this. And so I'm happy. Welcome onto the show, Amrita. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this is really uh, something that I've been looking forward to since we discussed it. Learning. So um, the pleasure is all mine. All right. I just want to say, yeah. just because you do all of that stuff with Tatler and GMT, the real milestone is actually appearing on this podcast. I hope you know that. <laughs> and, but, and that's why I'm so excited, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, just to start off, uh, tell us a bit about how you got into journalism and how you ended up writing about jewelry and watches. Okay, so this story is dated like, it actually goes back to when I was 11 years old and that's when I knew I wanted to be a writer so like it's it's just been my dream all my life that you know to grow up to be a writer and this is because I come from a family of writers but also come from a family of uh, people who have been in law and science so it was very it was very confusing for me growing up like you know what do you what, what do I want to be and um, when the time came to choose I had the choice between pharmacy and um, journalism and advertising. And I was the black sheep and I chose writing. Um, my brothers, sisters, they're all pharmacists. They're all like uh, lawyer. My, my dad is half a lawyer. He's a major in physics. So um, writing just came to me out of nowhere. And um, when it did, I decided to just close my eyes and follow my dream. And um, I started off um, with this course, which which is called Bachelors of Mass Media in India. Mm-hmm. And it focuses on advertising and journalism. And um, yeah, so jewelry and watches happened much later because uh, my first internship was at GQ uh, back in 2010. And um, I got introduced to watches then. Um, and I remember I was just um, at the editorial desk and, you know, the editor of the magazine um, told me that, you know, pick up all the magazines of the last year and find the stories that really speak to you. And uh, somehow I just chose stories of cars and watches. And like, I don't know how that happened. Like it just came to me, you know. And um, yeah, and then I, I realized that I like this. Like, I like to know the technology behind things. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I also did uh, study physics and chemistry and, you know, like science on the whole. So I was always very interested in how things work. And um, jewelry also has that side to it, right? Like, how does how do things float, uh, like, you know, in, um, in uh, these hidden pieces and things like that? So, um, yeah, that's that's how it started. I actually, I have a follow-up question that is definitely not related, but I've never, I was looking at the Phillips auction, actually. Um, and obviously, I've only been ever, like, looking at watches. But then recently, I was like, whatever, I'll just look at jewelry. And then I'll look at um, how much a diamond would cost and what it like um how it relates to the size because I know nothing about diamonds and jewelry and um so then what I obviously realized straight away it was like okay it has nothing to do with the size right but what exactly are people actually looking for when they're talking about like a good jewelry piece or like good design I can't even tell till now Mm. so 
Honestly, there are um, a few things to keep in mind. Um, the first thing is where does um, the stone originate from? Because okay. there are lots of mines in the world that are either closed or are closing down. So automatically those stones become like, uh, they're auto vintage, like they just become, uh, you know, rare. And um, those are the things to look for. Like um, the sapphires in Kashmir, um, are very rare like they they're almost like nowhere right so those are the kind of things that you have to look out for and like uh, what is the kind of setting what is the workshop that you know uh, put those pieces together if you're mm -hmm. looking at something vintage or like if it's uh, if it's a new piece and if it's an emerald like uh, mm -hmm. is it uh, is it treated is it heated you know mm -hmm. um it's just about asking those questions and then uh, you realize whether um, a piece of jewelry is actually rare or not. And this is from a collector's point of view, of course. But jewelry, um, just like watches, it has to be loved first. So mm -hmm. keeping all these things aside, you have to really see whether you like the piece. And that is, I think, um, where it all starts from. So yeah, that, that would be my take on it. Yeah, Dan? Yeah, I got to I got two questions. I'd like to bring it back to the writing. Like mm. you said that you liked writing from an early age and it, it was kind of like a calling for you. you. You really wanted to do it. You knew you wanted to do it. How did you know? Like a lot of people probably listening, especially the younger people, they're all everybody's trying to find their passion in life. But you know, sometimes you you don't actually know. Uh, what the writing give you some kind of enjoyment or what was it specifically so that's my first question the second question is a lot of people ask me this question which is you know you love watches as a hobby as an enthusiast and now you do it as a as your profession with phillips you know how has that changed and i'm just like to ask you that same question you liked writing you probably liked writing a particular genre but now you have to write really from a business point of view from a commercial aspect did that affect your um your feeling about writing okay so going back to the first question how did i know um it was very simple for me uh, my dad is an amazing writer himself and um a lot of my family have come from you know have a bollywood background so i grew up watching films like understanding how uh, the business of films work, what are the kind of conversations that go behind writing these scripts. My dad had written a lot mm. of scripts and like he had this thing where he would write something and he would narrate it. And I would listen to that and wonder like, how does he do it? You know, this is insane. Like, how does he write like that? And then I started reading Harry Potter <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I was like, how does she do it? Like, how does she mm -hmm. create this world that you get drawn into and you mm -hmm. feel like you're living it? Mm -hmm. That is that is magic. Like, that is something that I wanted to do myself. And till this day, I want to write a book which is as impactful as that. Obviously, a different universe. I want to, I want to create something, right? And that feeling of creating thing is where it all started and I knew I wanted to be a writer then um so that that really didn't take too much um thinking as such um and your second question was like okay yes I identified my passion I worked on it I actually worked on it every day from age 11 like my dad used to tell me that you know I'm gonna give you a subject and write about it and like slowly and surely I tried to hone that skill and um through the course I wrote about the weirdest things right like I wrote about agriculture about science about like McDonald's and like everything under the sun that you can imagine and I did that because I wanted to understand what really speaks to me like what mm -hmm. is the kind of writing that I love doing and uh, then it just got narrowed down to luxury and and then it got narrowed down further because within luxury we have so much right so like I tried everything and um when it came to jewelry and watches um 
the one thing that kept me going is there's always something new there's always something to learn like you know whether it's technology or like it's 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 the way you look at things um even even like you know the materials used how you borrow it from certain industries and then make it um you know relevant to another industry that itself is so cool and um every time you you see someone uh you know be creative about things that may seem mundane is what really gives me a kick and that's the reason why i enjoy writing about watches and jewelry so much and no it does not feel like a job to me and i know this is something that uh you know a lot of people say that um you know do something you love and then it doesn't feel like work mm. it seems oh, like yeah. uh yeah that's just something people say I know it sounds cliche talking about like it doesn't feel like work but Dan if you like follow her Instagram and you look at her like IG stories every day you're just like she just loves working like she loves her life yeah well, the reason why I asked the question was because um a lot of people will say ah oh, you know I'll, it will kill the hobby for me it will kill it or something like this mm. but actually for me like I, I think of like well why would you want to do a job that you don't love, right? If you swip mm. it around, like, why would you want to do a job you don't love? And then in terms of uh, watches, I think I really love it, which means like I work harder in this job than, than any other job I think I've ever had. But mm. I, I love it because I learn so much still, right? And um, it, it, yeah, I just love every aspect of it so i'm really happy to hear that you also feel the same but actually i was waiting for you to finish your answer because i really want to ask you said you're a big harry potter fan i have <laughs> yeah. to say which book is your favorite you know because this is going to determine yeah, if we are yeah. actually friends or not um, yeah yeah <laughs> okay so um that kept don't say book five <laughs> Yours is book five, really? Don't say book five. Oh, no. I thought mm. yours is book five. I was like, yeah, no. Yeah, you're no, not no. weirdo. So for me, it was Prisoner of Azkaban. I loved it. Like, okay. it was my favorite book. It was, I think that was the third one, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that that was just... Long, long. I think yours and... is uh, Goblet of Fire, right? No, it's no way. That's yeah, yeah. That's the fourth one. So it's yeah, either yeah. the third and fourth. Second yeah, actually, is I, I yeah. agree with you. I'm I'm a bit confused. Maybe the fourth one because I just love <laughs> the tournament for some reason and like the introduction of the the other houses. I mean the. I the think other... it's a bit unfair. I think it's a bit unfair, right? Because by the time book four was written. Yeah, it was already a bit of it was already very successful, which means that book is like almost two to three times thicker than book three, two and one. Now, if she had spent like if she knew it was such a big thing and the publisher had put pressure on her to to write a more fold out book, no bigger book, I think one, two and three would have been amazing. But it never happened. I mm. personally like Chamber of Secrets. I think that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's a bad choice. <laughs> wait I need to go back yeah, I, like, I want to talk about Bollywood because I like um you know what's funny is if you go onto Instagram yeah and there's a lot of these memes and it's like this girl like she gets hit and then she like you know she's like stumbling because she gets hit and then she gets tangled up in um by the curtain and then while she's being tangled up in the curtain like she magically like twirls into this other guy and then they make out and then i'm just like who writes this stuff <laughs> like who comes up with this stuff i gotta say the dancing <laughs> oh, in bollywood yeah. i love just watching the dancing it's insane yeah. like yeah. The, the way it's synchronized like choreographed i just love watching that i mean i've seen um sometimes i put like sometimes you have these bollywood award shows right and then this uh, last one i watched was that um hitrit roshan you know yes. and um I saw him do this crazy dance. Right? It's just amazing. <laughs> so like right now I was watching this series on Netflix called The Romantics. It's basically like a behind the scenes on Bollywood. And mm -hmm. um, I have to tell you that it's a different universe altogether. Like sometimes, so there, I think there's also this uh, YouTube series where 
um you know people are watching bollywood uh, movies and like just their reactions yeah so um yeah bollywood is dramatic and uh, that's where indians get uh, all the drama from as well in their lives because they're just trying to <laughs> recreate bollywood films in in reality but uh, and, yeah and Sorry, can I just interject there? Because when mm-hmm. I was in the UK, I had a lot of Indian friends and they kept on telling me, and I don't know if this is true, that, you know, actually Bollywood is the cornerstone of the Indian economy. Like everything is comes off is that, it? like fashion, everything. Is that true? That is absolutely true. Everything is dependent on Bollywood, the way people behave, uh, mm. the way women are perceived. Um, and those are all conversations that are changing because Bollywood is changing its narrative. Like there are a lot of, um, you know, uh, movies now talking about uh, like, you know, social problems and like just things that people should be thinking about that they have been avoiding all these years. And that absolutely affects everyone. It's like a virus, like everyone just you know follows what these actors do the way they speak the things they wear it's it's a major rage like there's there's nothing that um competes with bollywood in india i feel like we can do a whole episode on bollywood <laughs> yeah like you should you should see like when these bollywood stars come to uh different cities like you know even when they visit hong kong it's crazy people like mm. even though they have never visited india these are indians who don't know what india is because they've never been but they know everything about this actor they know who the like the history of them dating someone mm-hmm. and like everything you know so it's crazy like it somehow binds you to your roots as well mm. because mm. there's there's just some common point that all indians have wherever you are in the world mm. so so with bollywood being so powerful right do you get a lot of watch brands um like jumping on that opportunity because i guess any star oh, that wears a certain watch does that watch instantly almost like sell out so that's the thing. Um, and this is something I was uh, reading about recently that Indians as a culture uh, look at value first and luxury second. So even though they are like diehard followers of uh, uh, Ritik Roshan, for instance, um, if he's wearing a watch, like I think he he um, he is the brand ambassador for Rado, I think, I'm not too sure. But um, right. let's say he wears a Rado watch, right? Um, people are not not just going to blindly buy it because it's expensive. And uh, even even if we're talking to a top tier uh, one person, right, like who can afford these watches, uh, they will still look at value first, even though they have the mm. money to earn, you know. So mm. that's the difference between. Um, and that's why even luxury brands approach the Indian market very differently as compared to uh, the rest of the world. It's also very difficult to own luxury in India because like the taxes are far, far more on luxury goods. Um, like the stuff that you would get yeah. in Hong Kong would be at least 50% more in India. The same. Oh, wow. So it's like China wow. then. Yeah, it's it's very expensive. Uh, and that's why uh, people travel to buy um, luxury goods. It's so they're very price like... conscious, right? Yeah. Yes, extremely as a culture and i don't see that changing anytime soon is there like a do you see a theme in the collectors like do they like uh um for example do they like diamonds in their watches do they like bigger pieces like or do they like value retention pieces like rolex and paddock richard mills yeah yeah so definitely they're very like conscious of the brands like micro brands or like you know the living contemporaries would not be as big in india but like a rolex or would is the king like you anybody who owns a rolex is looked at with a different lens altogether but so yeah the ap's and rolexes would would be you know quite yeah Yeah. yeah. (laughs) look at look at me in a different lens now yeah okay. i'll try okay. <laughs> those that are listening i've just like put my hand up and i'm wearing a rolex okay. yeah, daytona, rolex so. king. yeah yes yeah, thank you. okay i want to ask um 
previously, um, we had uh, Stephanie Kuro uh, on and he's she sorry, she's now the managing editor of Prestige. And I'm pretty sure you guys know each other. Right. Um, and she was previously writing for Revolution Watch magazine. And I remember her very clearly telling us that these watch brands would pay the magazine and then they would have to include specific quotes and words when they write. And I even remember Bulgari being one of them. So you would basically have to slot these sentences in. Is this how it's journalism still is right now? So um, what you're talking about is a branded promotion. It's not journalism. So okay. like, for instance, the editorial team would never do that at Tatlo. Um, there's a different team that works on advertorials, as we call it. And those are the paid promotions. And like, um, you know, we also specify that these are paid promotions. So like there is a Tatler Plus logo that we have, which is just dedicated to, uh, you know, um, these ads, basically, which are written uh, out in longer uh, pieces. So um I wouldn't agree with that because like okay. as you said that you know Steph also said that these were paid for so yeah that that would not constitute as journalism to me okay okay I got the questions I got two questions yeah. again I like mm -hmm. uh doing questions in pairs <laughs> uh so the first question actually goes to something you mentioned about the Indian market being mm -hmm. so price conscious and you said it influences the way brands penetrate that market. So how do brands alter their strategy for uh, India? That's my first question. And then I'll ask the second afterwards. So see, also the thing is that I haven't been in India in the last five years, right? Mm. Um, in these five years, a lot has changed because there was COVID. And then after COVID, like, you know, during COVID, actually, um, a lot of people started getting interested in watches and started inquiring about watches, um, started having these watch club meets and, you know, learning more about watches. So honestly speaking, right now, um, the way I see it just on Instagram, not being an insider because I haven't like spent enough time with the community there in the last five years, I would say that the brands are actually going through, um, you know, smaller groups, like in, in the sense, like I see like a lot of um, collectors who are um, approaching these brands and uh, whether uh, obviously the Rolexes and all are easy right to get because like those have already established themselves but I'm talking about the other brands they so they go through this group called Ethos and um, who already have like this list of clientele and uh, it's almost like a watch club meet where they they talk about the watches and like you know they learn more and then it, it's it's propelled further or like a chrono 24 where People are constantly um, searching about watches. So I I cannot comment on how they are altering their strategies because I haven't been there. But um, it's definitely not the same approach. Like, I'm sure, like, you, you cannot entice someone in India just on the basis of a hype watch. Like, hmm. yes, they will be interested, but they will not uh, break the bank for it. Mm, okay so my second question is back to what you were saying about the advertorials is it safe to say that you actually like pure journalism as opposed to advertorial content when you actually have to write it i don't write advertorials i okay, only the answer then <laughs> yeah i, I yeah. don't because um to be honest i did do a lot of advertorials while i was in india uh, I was actually in the branded promotions team of Condenast India. So I used to work for all the four titles towards the end when I just moved to Hong Kong. And um, it's it's not great because you don't get a byline uh, because these are paid promotions. So like they are written as, you know, uh, from the point of view of the company, of, of the title, mm -hmm. not you. Because you don't have the voice here, right? You cannot, um, you cannot analyze it. You are writing merely as somebody who um has to write this piece on behalf of the title, 
And um, that is something that I did not like because if if there is something that I'm trying to report um, about a particular watch, I I can't do it if if it's paid for because the client then decides what goes into the copy, what goes into the advertorial. So yes, my answer is very clear. Like it's not something I prefer. I would I would do it um, okay. the other okay. way. <laughs> Well, yeah. I have a follow-up question on that. So let's say the magazines you work for, how much of that content is advertorial? Because I, I believe that will be revenue producing. And then mm -hmm. how much is pure editorial? So right now, like for instance, at Tatler, um, I'm not part of that team. I only look at editorial uh, stories, which means that for watches and jewelry, everything that goes in the book uh, is something that I need to think of. So honestly, I don't have the time to look at anything else. So it doesn't even reach me. Like, I don't know what goes on on that side. And I don't want to know, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> right. um, yeah, this, the, uh, the stories I do are things that I really want to talk about, like, you know, things that are not spoken about enough. And um you know, something that I feel personally about and like, I would like to do a little more research on. So yeah, I, I cannot answer that because I really don't know. Okay. Um, okay. Sorry, Long. I've just got another one more question. No. Yeah, no, which go is ahead. leading from that. <laughs> what is it you like to write about editorial when you say about researching and stuff right now, what is like really you think is a hot topic that you really love to write about in watches? See, that's difficult to say because uh, my mood changes every minute. <laughs> and there's so many stories out there. Like, there's so much, right? Like, uh, for instance, like, Asian watchmaking is such a huge subject. And, like, I've been mm. wanting to write about it. Like, I've been wanting to understand more. Like, what were the cornerstones of Asian watchmaking? And, like, mm. what, you know, what are the things that, you know, brands that are out of production now, but made uh, a statement back in the day. Like, you know, those are the kind of things that I would love to talk about. And um, there's only so much you can do in one issue, right? Um, mm. But thankfully, now, now that we have Tatler GMT, uh, we have a, an entire publication dedicated to watches. It gives me enough space um to uh, maneuver through these stories and uh, speak to more people about it because this is really like a minefield. There's so much uh, to uncover and it's also very exciting because every time you meet someone, you, you know, you see a different perspective, like, um, you know, whether it is Qtayu's daughter who would probably tell you something um, about his watches that, you know, I would, would never know because I wasn't even here or like like you know I don't I, I'm just not exposed to that kind of information so um yeah I I would like to talk more about those kind of things hmm. all right um speaking of hot topics right um I don't know if you guys have been following the only watch fiasco um hmm. so I actually really want to hear your thoughts on that do you think that it's actually the journalist's fault or is it just I like do you feel like it's getting blown out of proportion so see there's always two sides of the coin right mm -hmm. uh, we should firstly be grateful that there is a thing like only watch because mm -hmm. otherwise what are we doing for the community what are we uh you know like in terms of charities and doing good this is one initiative that um, has been established and you know I feel that we need more such things and by by putting it under the spotlight like that I feel like mm. we are discouraging uh, others um, to do something similar so yeah. I, I do look at it from that point of view but then I also feel that transparency um, is something that you have to foresee when you're doing a charity um, you know what I mean? So yeah. honestly speaking, from from a journalistic point of view, obviously we want to tell the stories as they are. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that is the first um, duty of a journalist. But then you also have to see that um, this organization, has it done any good in the last many years? Has it established itself as, um, you know, something that not only generates a lot of creative ideas in the industry, pushes the industry to like innovate more or, you know, um, be a part of a system that actually comes together for this particular occasion and create something um, so unique, right? Um, so yeah, that's, I'm, I'm very conflicted because this is such a difficult um, subject to take sides on. How do you decide, right? Yeah, Dan, I agree with well, I agree with uh, Amrita um, on the fact that I think it's 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 good to have transparency. I think you need that, right? And the thing what I don't like is I don't like the fact that because of the way media is delivered these days, i.e., basically social media, mm-hmm. people make a decision based on very limited information and they make that decision oh you know only watch is not good or only watch is a good thing but they base it on let's say a post or a video a reel which is basically 30 seconds of information or at most part if it's a post the caption will be i don't know four pages four four paragraphs long that is actually very limited on Mm -hmm. like and it's, an, it's also an opinion, right? And I think um, I see a lot of these comments where it's easy to shoot when you have no responsibility, mm-hmm. right? But it's it, if you come from, let's say, only watch, right? There's like, if you release any kind of statement, right? There's going to be potentially legal ramifications. Mm-hmm. And it may be that it's not in the best interest because of that to say something, you know, and that's something you have to be so careful about. But it just because you don't say anything doesn't make you guilty, right? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, and I'm not saying like only watch is like the best thing, by the way. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to stand like and be fair before everybody jumps on like the bandwagon, which is social media and just say, oh, you know, because they read something, it must be like that. First of all, we don't know if it's exactly like that because I certainly not, I'm not in the organization and I'm sure like the, the people are in the know are in the organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just don't know enough, right, to to make my decision. But I, I think it's okay to have like an opinion, but I just think, you know, we also have to be very open-minded on what we are feeding ourselves in terms of information and how it's delivered. We, mm. you know, like, for example, anything controversial is always about taking sides these days. You know, it's like, it's like mm. Israel and, you know, the, the war there with Gaza, you know, which side are you on? You know, it's like, well, I, to be honest, I don't know enough about that right now. I never did know enough about that to make an informed decision. And if I haven't got, I just feel like that's a bit, a bit stupid, actually, you know, for me to just wade in unfounded, you know, with, with very limited information. I want to jump in on that as well because um, talking about only watch, like let's say from a statistical point of view as well, right? Like if if you're talking about transparency and let's say we don't have the transparency, okay? Um, And they raise like a random number, 100 million euros, um, you know, for um, this particular year. And, um, you know, 10% of it goes to charity, let's say. And of course, it's a higher number or lower, whatever, even if it's 1%. Now compare that number to zero, because if you don't have that, you have nothing, because nobody else is doing anything. So, Mm. like, I just feel like when people are making, taking that step, and going in a direction where like somebody will benefit right at some Mm -hmm. point in some way why would you want to throw that away like yes it's 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 important to question things but um in a way that 
can be done in a healthy manner without uh, you know causing uh, damage to someone or um creating an ethos where you know people don't trust one another it just mm -hmm. becomes a point of gossip that's mm -hmm. not helping anybody right mm -hmm. like it can be done in a close room where you know if a person has questions they ask those questions or try to figure it out without making it a spectacle so that's yeah. those are my thoughts on it as well that's mm -hmm. also what i always think if you have a problem with somebody and you genuinely want to fix the situation and you are in a position that has some kind of influence like definitely going online to blast like the other party is just not the way to go and i've said this about like um previously there was the guy in taiwan sunny who made the video about ap and then mm -hmm. now this and i think the other thing that i thought was kind of confusing was that there was so much focus on like blaming the journalists and like journalism in general. I think nobody goes to report a story with this kind of attitude of like every organization is shady. So let me try and mm. dig up um, mm. like, you know, they tell you, hey, we we made 10 percent sales and you're like, no, you didn't. Let me go dig it up. Right. So <laughs> I don't think it was intentional at all to like write pieces that aren't, you know, like they say not accurate so i find that a bit strange um but yeah it's sad I, I think to, um yeah. i think all three of us kind of agreed that transparency would have been the target and actually not for only watch to potentially never exist again but exactly. you know i think people that have been blasting they feel it almost as a success that they might have taken down only watch but if you really think about it, was that the real aim? You know, if you if you go from that emotional side of like winning and losing and, you know, nobody benefits. Yeah. And uh, everybody actually didn't want to take down any watch. They actually just wanted transparency. Right. That's what I mm -hmm. feel anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I kind of want to move on to another question about social media, because I think recently I've realized, at least in Hong Kong, a lot of the journalists, photographers, they're very active on social media and you can kind of like follow them and they, they've they kind of become like celebrities, if that makes sense. Like they have their own branding, a particular type of like, I mean, even up to like how they dress and um, their lifestyles and so on. Um, is this like a thing that is being encouraged, like for you guys to kind of build a personal brand? So I'll tell you what the thing is right now. Uh, journalism is evolving at a very fast rate. Um, with the introduction of social media, it's kind of tipped the balance a lot, right? Like people are moving from print to, um, they move to digital, these web stories and now to social, right? So mm -hmm. um, of course there is, there is an expectation that, you know, we as journalists have to portray ourselves um, in a certain light because um, you would know like, you know, you know, just being a woman in a world of watches, uh, you need to, you need to talk about it. Like you need to, you need to make sure that people know that you know your shit, you know? Yeah. So um, that's, that's important. Um, another thing about social media is that this is where all the conversations are happening. So if you are not there and if you are not being yourself, I, you're just a bot, right? Um, our jobs are basically um, can be taken over by AI at any point. But how do we make sure that we have a voice, that we have, you know, um, an authority or like our, our thoughts are something that people would want to, you know, know more about. And that's where uh, social media becomes very important because it helps you to reach out to so many people across generations now. It's not like, you know, only the young ones are getting um, onto Instagram. It's our parents, like, you know, uh, two generations above us also who um, are uh, tuning into Instagram or Facebook for that matter. So, 
I would say that this is uh, an important step in journalism. And of course, there's there's two ways of doing it. One is that, you know, you you just you you just want to uh, be yourself and like, you know, um, not not confuse your um, your own personality with your job. A lot of people do that, like they have like closed accounts or whatever. But I do believe that um, if you want people to read your stuff, you have to be out there and you have to be talking about what, what you know, because otherwise, who are you? Why will someone read my story? Why why will someone be interested in knowing my you know thoughts? Yeah, I think that's an important part yeah, of right. journalism. I, I just like to ask... Um... Out of all the stories you've written, just like us, out of all the episodes we've done, there's always been like an episode that we personally have really liked. And it, it differs, actually. You know, my one would be different to Long Long's. And actually, when we speak to some of the audience, I'm surprised at some of the ones they mentioned because I'm like, really? I'm so shocked. Yeah. But from your perspective, I'd like you to share perhaps one article that really resonated with you and why that resonated with you. Um. You know, it's so difficult to pick because when you're writing a story, you feel like, oh, you put your heart and soul into it. Um, I think my interview with uh, Mr. Benamias, uh, the AP CEO who is just exiting now, was amazing. Like, that'll be a day and a story that I'll always remember um, because he was just himself, right? Like, he was a dream interview because... I just felt like he was he was talking passion. He was talking, it wasn't corporate speak. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, yes, I need to conform. I need to say X, Y, Z and be within the bounds of, uh, you know, my brand. Like I can't talk about what really, you know, moves me or like, um, you know, just just the way he spoke about uh, women in watchmaking, that was one of my questions to him. And I could see with just the way he spoke to me that he meant every word. And that puts a lot of um, perspective into the narrative. It shows you a side of somebody that you think you would have never seen. Like, yes, of course, I've seen a lot of his interviews online. And I know that, you know, he's somebody who speaks his heart. But um you know, just being there uh, in person and seeing it for yourself is something different. So I'll always remember that one. Hmm. So, I mean, like, you're now, I would say you're very well integrated into the watch community, especially with like trying to build Tala GMT, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is there anyone that you haven't met yet that you want to meet? Or um, have there been any very like key moments you remember with meeting people? Um, so, so I just recently met Alex Mill, uh, Richard Mill's son, and now the brand director of Richard Mill, and that was another experience that um I'll never forget because um the Mill family was so welcoming, so friendly. You know, I felt like. I met a friend I hadn't spoken to in years. And that's mm. not something you, um, you know, come across very often, uh, right? Like, I'm sure you would, you both would know that very well. So like, um, he was somebody that I was hoping to meet for a very long time because I had this story idea last year where I was just like, you know, the brand is um, actually going from one generation to the other. So I really want to speak to him about, um, or like the entire family about, you know, how how that process would be like. It would be such an emotional thing, right? Because um, it's, it's just a 20-year-old brand, like a 22-year-old brand. Um, so yeah, that, that was one of um, uh, my other uh, interactions that um, really left a mark. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting. Okay, well, last one. Um, okay, I, it sounds cliche, but um, I found this on your Instagram, um, one of your posts. You wrote this, um, 10, comm- uh, 10 commandments for the luxury watch editor. And number nine, you wrote, thou shall embrace the wonder woman within blah 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 and then basically you're i mean 
you're obviously being sarcastic about saying, do you have this model in something less monstrous? Like obviously joking about how the female pieces are usually, you know, I guess like diamond encrusted is the best way to describe, right? Um, how has your experience been? I know you obviously, like you said just now, you have to know your shit, but how do you navigate the space and how do you make sure that now that you are the editor of a watch magazine, um, how do you make sure that people really take you seriously and take this like Hong Kong GMT edition as serious as the one in Switzerland? That's a very good question. Um, so like when you asked me that question, the first thing that came to my mind was, um, you know, in the Olympics, there's um, hurdling where you there's this track where you just need to race and jump over all these hurdles that come in your way. Being a woman in watchmaking is, or like, you know, heading a watch magazine is just that because you never know where the hurdle will come from, what it'll be like, and you have to be creative. Like in some situations, yes, you need to talk a little bit more about your knowledge, but if it's somebody who, um, you know, will take offense or you will hurt the male ego, that is also something you need to take into account. Like, Sometimes it's just best to be dumb, like just just <laughs> behave stupid. Like, yeah, okay, I don't know. Explain it to me, and that, and and then you just get the right answers. So, so yeah. it's honestly, it's yeah. it's just a mind game. You just need to be very alert about who you're speaking to, at what time of the day, how are they feeling in that instant. Like, it's it's so many things. Like, you yeah. have to be a multitasker to, um, really navigate this field. Like, and for for to be very honest like it was it was one of these events where um a very notable uh, watch collector came up to me and yeah. um, he was very well meaning i'm, I'm not yeah. saying that but yeah. uh, he told me this um it stayed with me for a while actually it stayed yeah. with me until now that you know um when when Tatlo GMT was announced and Hong Kong was the first market to um you know launch the uh, the edition right like and mm-hmm. honestly it was it was a lot of work and a lot of pressure because we had very limited time to come up with the first book the other regions mm-hmm. uh, had a little more time than us so there mm-hmm. was a lot of pressure right on the Hong Kong office and um. He told me that, you know, when when Tatlo GMT was announced, uh, everyone thought that it would be a, a fluffy magazine, but it was not. And um, when he said that to me, I, I was wondering, should, like, there was a smile on my face because yeah. I generally have a smile plastered on my face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, but, like, I, I was just thinking that, um, what did he mean, you know? Like, yeah. Was it fluffy because it was Tatler? Was it fluffy? Was it supposed to be fluffy because it was Tatler? Because it was me? What What was the reason behind it? And in the end, I was just like, well, I'm glad that it was not, right? And that was what the conclusion was in the end. So why should I worry about how I was perceived, how my magazine was perceived? Uh, mm-hmm. Sorry, how I was perceived. It, my magazine was perceived the right way. So, um. I made peace with that. And that was just one of the instances where I felt like it's okay for me to lose sometimes if my work has to win in the end, you know, I'm okay Mm -hmm. with that. But um, my work has to win because I am only as good as my last piece of work. And that's Mm -hmm. why I just keep trying. And that's all I can do, whether I'm a man or a woman, right? Like it doesn't matter who, what your gender is in the end, it's the kind of work you're producing. Well, mm. I'm really sorry Dan said that to you. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> How could you? <laughs> All right. Um, but I've well, got to say, yeah. like, I agree with the answer because yeah. like in, in my field, which is auction, and I'm on the, more of the sales side, business getting side, you know, it is a, a male-dominated, like, hobby, right? Mm-hmm. And how um a male i'm not even talking about watches here interacts with a female is very different to how they would interact with a male 
you know and sometimes <laughs> it's like good and sometimes it's like not so good because like sometimes I f- sometimes I feel when I'm in some hot water with a client right mm. I feel that if it was a female maybe they wouldn't be quite like that mm. you know but as a man they can go really hard on you and maybe I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that they definitely, you know, wouldn't go hard on. I just, I, I always have that question in my head. Oh, would it be different? You know, but at the same time, I mean, that's a good side. The amount of, and I think your, your experience in this long, the attention, you unwanted attention, unwanted mm-hmm. comments you mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. is not something that I would have to deal with. Right. So yes. yeah, it is different. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's nobody's fault. It's just that it's just been like that for the longest time. So for things to change, it will also take some time. Yeah. All right. Um, let's move on onto the reverse around. So do you have a question for us? Yes. Mm. Do. Um, okay. So uh, if you were a watch editor of um, a magazine, uh, which story would you write first? Ooh, that's that a good question. Oh, that's really? so hard. Yeah, so fresh. So, yeah. Really? yeah. Yeah. You got the uh, creative juices flowing there. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. So, Dan, do you want to go first? I have one, actually. If you got the answer, you go first. I'm still thinking about it. Okay. Mine. Well, mine's not that creative, but I want to, whenever there, um, there are like big families, so say the Cartier family. I want to actually investigate how the company was split up. So the actual, not the on paper, it was split like 30%, 30%, 30%, but more like how they fought over it and who gets to manage what. I mean, this is well documented in the book, but um, it's more about like, I wish I could hear some of the drama and I could like uncover it. And then maybe write it in a way that if you read between the lines you would be like well it actually isn't that nice like they actually the family fought that's what I would want to like investigate or like if they like say he like the guy had an affair and then he was secretly making the jewelry for another woman like I'll love to find out stuff like that that's so interesting (laughs) so actually probably not that different too long long because i'm thinking i would want to read information and i think um that isn't really accessible isn't really there and therefore requires a huge amount of research so you know not stuff like oh you know a 2499 there's four series you know, and the differences mm-hmm. of this. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's like a little bit niche knowledge, but actually it's not hard to find. But mm-hmm. like, you know, sometimes I read, like last time, like something really stuck in my head, which was um, in that Patek book, the biography by Nick Folks, mm-hmm. he talks about a brand that Patek made that was supposed to be a cheaper line of Patek. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the reverse spelling of Patek, which was Ketap, right? Mm. And it never took off. You know, that's what's really stuck in my mind because I was like, wow. So I would love these little stories of the history of a brand that would enlighten me on how the brand like developed and went through. And not necessarily, you know, that story I just said wasn't like, it doesn't lead anywhere, mm-hmm. but it's it's like, that's quite interesting, you know, like, because it's off the main path. It does, it's got no marketing kind of usage at all, um, but it's just something you just don't read every day. I feel mm. that, um, yeah, if anything that's already out there, I probably, you know, and it has to be consistent. So like to hold me and I, I'd look forward to reading that because it would always be something that, oh you know i didn't know this but what a story it's a Mm -hmm. bit like when you tell somebody about the reverso story that's never into watches or kind of just getting into watches and you tell them that story and they're like wow like that is an amazing story yeah but you know if you could have more of that for the more advanced um watch lover that would be great yeah 
you guys for giving me all the ideas yeah. <laughs> can I just add another thing that I actually think like I like I personally would be fascinated to read but not write when I hear um stories of you know like all these like iconic people like Goldberger um mm -hmm. I don't actually care about their watches because that's mm. like you can just google this right and read the interviews I want to see other parts of his life so my friend that met him the way she was like telling me like oh my god did you know like all the towels in the bathroom they're color-coded but like there's the way she described the plates and the cutlery I want to see that like someone's life outside of watches because if they have such good taste in watches what would their wardrobe look like and what kind of books would they be reading stuff like that yeah that's a, it's a really good point because I'm glad you raised that long long because I'm Rita you know when I met long long back in you know during well during COVID period when we were together a lot we always said yeah wouldn't it be so refreshing because she was getting a lot of interview requests Right. it wouldn't be so refreshing if she could just do it in Shake Shack right yeah, like always requested. we always said that yeah. like you know because it's real you know what I mean because it, we're not like always eating despite what you might see in Long Long's Instagram like, <laughs> these five-star meals right like there are many times where she's like just very actually normal and yeah. actually I'd say the majority of time and like being an absolute fool <laughs> and I think that's actually more relatable, but instead we seem to want to put people on this pedestal that is so far away from one, actually what they want to portray and yeah. two, actually how it really is. Mm -hmm. yeah. I agree with that on so many levels because uh, recently I did an interview with uh, Cam Daswani um, and he was basically telling me about um, his journey in watch collecting and how he actually realized who his true friends were because mm. there are lots of people who are coming to him just um, you know as a means to collect a watch or like to get access to a watch right and that I found was the interesting aspect of him and his collecting journey because a lot of people face this but are so scared to talk about it because like you don't want mm. to um you know, rub anyone the wrong way. But like he actually told me in so many words that, um, you know, I don't want to sit at the table and talk about my watch. I want to talk about how your day was, like what, you know, how your how your parents are doing, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But like my watch is not table uh, talk. Like why, why are we only talking about this? So I found that so refreshing. And like yeah. that gave me some insight on, how he is as a person and like, you know, what are the frustrations that collectors have to face on a day-to-day -day basis? Those are the kind of stories uh, that are interesting, you know, mm. from a journalistic point of view as well. So I totally agree. Looking forward to reading these stories in your next edition. <laughs> it is out today. You should... Oh, is it? Congratulations. I'll tr go and pick one up then. Thank you. All right, we're going to move to the last round. So quick fire, quick questions, and then short answers. Okay. Okay. Oh, the first one's actually a Harry Potter one. Okay, so you're a Harry Potter fan. Who is your favorite character in Harry Potter and why? Good question. Tom Felton, uh, Draco Malfoy. Uh, what? What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude, what? I right, let's end the interview right now. Yeah, the most random answer like, ever. Do you know what the worst thing is? That the one you said it, and two, the fact you said it so quickly, which means you yeah. really mean it. God. Of course, I loved him for the longest time. <sighs> Why? I don't know. He was just cute. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. No, but yeah. like, uh, uh, but from a character point of view, it was Snape for sure. I loved Snape. Hang okay, on. So did you love Snape after you read the whole whole series or did you like him from no, the start? From she just likes interesting people, I think. People who don't fit the norm. I think she just likes <laughs> Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is something that I need to change about myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> after this podcast, look hard in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, we first bonded as well over this Netflix show called Indian Matchmaking. Um, oh, no, Dan, I know you. So trashy, Dan. You think it's trashy until you watch one episode, and then you're like, "Okay, I can't leave my sofa. I need to finish all this whole season." It's not that it's just entertaining; it's educational. Educational. It、What? is. For- no entertainment I have ever seen. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> no, because for somebody that like, I don't have a lot of Indian friends. You can learn so much about the culture. No, yeah, okay, yes, there there are weird people in India, but no, that's not how everyone is. <laughs> no, it is. <laughs> okay, so my question is: Are you for or against arranged marriages? It doesn't matter. Marriages are old school concepts. Marriages. Okay.、Don't... Good answer. No. Okay. Uh, favorite city you have visited or lived in? Oh, so there was this place I visited, which was on the border of India and China. It's called Tawang.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very um. It's basically a road less traveled. I'm like. Very few people can even visit it from India. You need like a permit to visit it. So that was an amazing experience. It's got like a Tibetan、mm-hmm. culture, and you actually get to visit the border and you know look at China from India. Wave. Very cool. In the cold, yeah, that、okay. was nice. If you could be gifted either a dream watch or jewelry piece, would you choose a a watch or a piece of jewelry? I think I would buy it myself.、Mm, okay. I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't、uh, want anyone to gift me either of the two because these are things that I'm very passionate about, and if I get gifted something I don't like, oh, that's just sad. Um. <laughs> well, well, okay. I can't. I can't exactly agree with that. <laughs> Same. I'll, I'll take it. it. I'll, I'll take, take it. it. Even the wrong one's fine. Yeah. It's called auction house. <laughs> yeah. Look, just dish it to me. I'll liquidate it and like get something you like. Like, and then you can buy it again. <laughs> All right. Favorite thing to do in your downtime? I am a poet, and you did not know it. Oh, interesting. Okay,、mm-hmm. favorite place to eat in Hong Kong. It has to be Sip Song at Repulse Bay. Okay,、What's、happiest. <laughs> What? <laughs> What is that? What food is that? Is Thai. that Thai? Yes. Ah, okay. Really good Thai. Yeah. Uh, happiest moment of twenty twenty three. Um. Um, <laughs> Draco Malfoy reading about Draco Malfoy. I did not believe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was that. Okay, um, a brand you would love to work with and haven't yet. Um, it would be F. P. John and D. Batoon for sure. These、mm. two,、okay. because I haven't. I haven't、uh, met anyone from the team either, so that would be great to be introduced to them. Okay, a celebrity you wish to interview or meet? Tom Felton. <laughs> oh, no! All right, get her off the show. Get her、yeah. off the show. That's it. That's it. Like, don't worry. Like, last question. My、here. gratitude, like honestly,、no. very thin now. <laughs> okay, so okay. obviously,、no. have to ask you. A book you would recommend us all to read has to be Tatla GMT, of course. No, I'm kidding. Um, so there's this book called Um Playing Big. It's by、okay. Tara Moore, and uh, the subhead of the book is for women who want to speak up, stand out, and lead. This is the、okay. book I would really recommend a lot of people to read. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna make a note of that.、Uh, oh, I got one question.、Yeah. Yeah, Last question.、Yeah. So,、God. which watch is the watch you'd want to have right now? Like your dream、yeah. watch, or you know,、yeah. you know. Okay,、yeah. so dream being the key word here, it has to be the Patek Philippe two four nine nine. It is a dream, and I think it'll always just remain a dream. Okay,、me. one that is not a dream, then. 
one that is not a dream. But then there's so many. Like, how do I choose? Well, that's <laughs> like, the point. What is every day? No, it's very difficult. But okay, I, actually, I think yeah. the thing is... Sorry, you were saying I something. actually thought you would say Richard Mill, having just met the sun. So I I really like the RM88. Mm. I love it. But, um, it. It's totally my style. But... No, that wouldn't be something that I would go for instantly. Maybe the Rolex puzzle. I really love that watch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. All right. Thank you so much, Amrita. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you so much for having me. I really loved it. But I don't know what I think about you now. After yeah. this. Get her off. Get her yeah. off. Like never coming on again. Yeah, I'm glad you remember me for some reason. If not, <laughs> nah, it's just that like my favorite character is clearly Dumbledore, right? And you picked the two characters which kind of like killed him. So like, <laughs> always hashtag always. <laughs> all right. So for all you guys listening, you can find Amrita on Instagram at the Tasting Tales. And as usual, you can find Dan, Jacqueline, and myself on the Waiting List podcast page. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye. 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 As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.